Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. You can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Ace Ball. You can find my written work over on Friends with Fantasy Benefits. And of course, we have with us today, Mr. Raymond Atherton at Raymond Atherton on the Twitter. What's up, Raymond? What's up? How are you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad. Special guest, because this is one of our OPL episodes for the Odd New Podcasters League, is Pete Ball. You can find him at Pete B Baseball. And most of his work is over at Pitcher List. You can find him on the Keeper Cut Pod. We already had his partner crime, Chad, on the first episode here. What's going on, Pete? Hey, Tim, Raymond, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I don't know how special of a guest I am, but I am a guest. <laughs> that's okay for our for our shows you can be special guest any other show any other show you can just be guest (laughs) uh what else you working on right now besides the keeper cut you got anything else cooking uh no no so i used to write um for uh pitcher list but that just proved to be too much i do a little coaching i coach middle school um at the school I teach at. So that, that kind of keeps me busy for, for my baseball work. Otherwise it's, it's just keeper cut and rage tweeting about the Red Sox and Celtics on Twitter. <laughs> That's awesome. So many teachers we were on with Sarah on, and on Sarah's episode, she was a former teacher and Raymond and I were both former teachers. So <laughs> kind of lends te- itself to it, right? Former teachers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you like sports, you want to coach whatever and teaching and coaching kind of goes hand in hand and, so <laughs> baseball summer's off, right? How can you beat that? Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, obviously very experienced Otnu player here on our hands. So I'm really interested to hear what kind of pre-draft strategy you had going into this draft. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, this is actually only my third full year playing Otnu. I mean, obviously I talk about it a lot. I'm in uh, four leagues now, um, but uh, Chad's the one who obviously got me into it for the keeper cut podcast. And Going into it, uh, this particular auction, um, the night before, a couple nights before, I'm in, I think it's League 13, don't remember the number, um, but it's the Fangraph Staff League. And to be clear, I'm not on the Fangraph Staff, but I'm in the league um, because that they had an opening and obviously Keeper Cut was starting, so I needed to have some new experience. And we had our auction a few nights before, and it was like eye-opening like I went into the auction with so much money and because I kind of rested on my laurels a little bit, like hunting for that deal, I missed out on a lot of players. Um, and I loved my roster going into the auction. I still feel like I can compete, but I came out of that auction with $40. And so going into this one, I was like, that's not going to happen. I was super aggressive early. Um, when we transitioned from the live auction to the slow um, I was, I had spent the most money. I think I only had like $77 left and I was happy with that. Um, that we, we're going to talk about some of the ones I don't like so much. You know, I rushed into a few players there, but overall I was pretty happy with my approach of, of spending early because I ended up with players that I wanted. So talking about spending early, did you have certain targets and kind of like a general idea of what you wanted to spend on them? Or did you have certain positions marked out that you wanted to hit up and make sure that you spent X amount of dollars at that position so that you weren't uh, like you didn't have the black hole at third or whatever. That's like the main thing most people are worried about. seems like this year is like black hole at third base, right? Well, I I think outfield is actually weaker in a five outfielder league than third base. But uh, did you have like 
budgetary numbers in mind for some positions or how did you go about that? It wasn't so much setting a budget at each position. Um, you know, I had up the auction calculator for pretty much the entire auction. Um, I'm in another five by five. This is a five by five league and I'm in one other one, the pitcherlist.new league. So I at least had some kind of reference point. I did go into it wanting Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, I wanted to attack outfield. I wanted to attack speed. Um, and I wanted to, you know, just be aggressive in the auction. And it was nice where he was like one of the later studs to get nominated. You know, usually it just kind of turns out that the best players get nominated early. Some of them will hang around for a little bit, but um, Acuna was one of the later ones. And I was able to stay under 60, get him for 59. And then you kind of nailed it there with third base. I was going to end up with one of the elite third basemen, um, but I knew to attack it early as opposed to waiting for the last one. Um, that auction that I referenced before, what really bit me in that one was there were basically four aces going into the auction and everybody knew there were four. Um, and so each one, after each one went up, I was like, all right, there's still two more left. There's still one more left. The last one was Julio Urias who ended up going for $40 to Eno Saris. Oh. And I, I know that's a crazy price to pay, but that was inflation. And honestly, in retrospect, I wish I paid it because then I ended up with like a $15 Lucas Giolito and $40 left over in the auction. So, oh, man. Um, yeah, that was a tough one. I don't know where Eno would have stopped bidding, but I wasn't going to let that happen to me at third base here. We're like, all right, Riley is off the board. Devers is off the board. Joe Ram's off the board. And then I'm paying out the nose to get Machado. I didn't want that to happen. So I, I locked up Devers for a price that I felt pretty good with. Yeah, some of the third basemen, and it's kind of, you know, this happens, I feel like right now, even in snake draft leagues, if you like, if you don't have a first base or a third baseman by the end of round two, if you're like in a like TGFBI, since we just had TGFBI, right? Like if you didn't have a third baseman at the end of round two, there's not much left. You're looking at like Gunnar Henderson, if you want to like play the rookie game or not much really after that. Uh, Alex so Bregman. Yeah. So, yeah. Bregman too. Better points, but yeah, I think it's pretty critical to nail someone down and some of these positions. And one of the weird positions that took me completely by surprise, because uh, you mentioned you've done a five by five odd new. The only ones I have done is uh, points before this draft. So I had not done five by five odd new and I should have thought more about it instead of just going into the draft with the idea that, it should be similar values at similar positions. But um, I should have thought more about it, that this is kind of a blend of NFBC style. I mean, it's traditional 5 by 5 Roto, right? So it's kind of a blend between that and the standard points odd new that I'm playing. It's like mixing the two together. And I was so taken aback by relief pitchers and the costs that relief pitchers were going that Raymond and I found ourselves for like, a third of the draft, a quarter of the, like a big portion of the draft. We're just trying to cobble together some sort of relief pitcher uh, combo that can do something for us. <laughs> and how did, so how did you handle the relievers in this draft? Did you know that the prices were going to be exorbitant with, uh, with relievers or did you, did you kind of have the same situation that we ran into where you weren't really quite sure that the prices were going to be that high? Yeah, I mean, when you think about uh, new, I mean, we're talking 12 teams and five reliever spots that people basically have to fill. So there's 60 relievers. There's less than half of that that are surefire closers in baseball. Add in the fact that this is Roto and, and you know, not that head-to-head -head categories is a thing on new, but in head-to-head -head categories, I don't really mind 
kicking saves down the line. And, you know, if I miss out, I miss out. That's fine. It's one of the 10 in Roto. I don't really like punting any categories. So I was, I was going to go hard after a closer, but they were just the first few that went, it was just like, I'm not touching that. Like I, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the exact prices, but Diaz and class a, and just, yeah. Yeah. Hater went for a lot too. But mm-hmm. I got to Jordan Romano, and I was looking at the list. And I was like, man, I, I, I better get him. Um, and I was able to get Romano at $21, who at the time I hated it. And then I quickly realized, like, oh, thank God, I got a closer. Um, <laughs> and I was able to get Doval, who, who I think should have the job for 13 bucks, which I think is it's not a bargain, but, like, that's fine. And so I have two guys I can depend on with Estevez as kind of like a wild card third option to, to be competitive in the category anyway. Yeah, and then one of the other things we've been talking about besides relief pitchers taking most of the most of the league back is uh, prospects. We've seen completely different strategies with po- prospects, and uh, there's some teams that went pretty prospect heavy. And oddly, you only have I think four prospects. I mean, you have a couple guys who like just got promoted basically, but I think you only have four guys that are probably going to start the year in minors, and you're still with only four guys, one of the more prospect heavy teams, a lot. Like I think Chad had no prospects. I mean, unless you count Walden, he had like Walden, Chuck and Wesnewski, which could or should break the team, you know, break camp with the team. And then you've got like a few of us, there's like uh, blessing the Welsh and us are like, I think the only teams with more prospects than you even. So what do you think is a, a good balance for a startup league? with prospects for like, if you're doing your first odd new draft, if you're talking to a rookie odd new league drafter, what would you recommend for prospects? Like how many to go for, or does it depend on other parts of the team? Like how, how would you advise for something like that? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd start by saying I'm still kind of figuring that out for myself. Um, But I think you kind of nailed it towards the end there when you're saying, does it depend on other parts of the team? I went with an approach where like I was going to spend early. um, And so that means that my best players are probably going to be pretty expensive. Maybe a few of them are going to be kept. So I want to set myself up with some high upside on the other ends that I have players to, to keep going into next year. At the same time, that doesn't necessarily have to be prospects, right? That can be guys who are uh, maybe one or two years in the league. You don't have to like sell out for the minor league guys. I think there probably was a learning curve that people went through with prospects in this particular auction. Um, just seeing some of the prices. I can't remember what Marcelo Meyer went for. Maybe I was the one that ended up with him. Was that this? No, I didn't get them. Uh, but there were there were a few prospects that are like, they're not one year out. They're they're two or three years out, and they were going for more than come more. I, basically, I don't even have a price for those guys. I, I think this is Chad's influence on me, where I'm not even going to bid on them. Um, mm-hmm. Like your Jackson Holidays or your your um, Drew Joneses, where like it's there's so many years out. There's going to be a dollar inflation each year, and it's just that's that's too much long term for me. I want to use my money and maximize to win this year. At the same time, like I said at the beginning of this this rambling, um, I do want to get some high upside players. So I like taking guys who are closer to the major leagues. You know, you touched upon that when you were introducing it. I got guys like Gorman, who's going to start with the major league team, but uh, Alec Thomas, Connor Norby, uh, Sedan Rafaela, and Robert Hassel the third. I guess Hassel the third might be a little bit. He, he might not debut this year, but I expect all those other names to get major league at bats this year, and that's important for me if I'm going to be spending money on them in a not new format. Yeah. Raymond, do you want to go ahead and read off Pete's infield so we can talk about it? Yeah. You have MJ Melendez at catcher, Tristan Casas at 
first base for five dollars. Prices, prices too, please, buddy. Prices too. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say Melendez went for thirteen. Sorry, everyone. Second base, Jake Cronenworth, ten dollars. Shortstop, Marcus Simeon, twenty nine dollars. Middle infield, Jonathan India, ten dollars. And third base, the aforementioned Rafael Devers for thirty nine dollars. Tim hates Rafael Devers. I I do hate Devers. <laughs> You're a Red what? Sox fan, though, so I'll let it fly. <laughs> no, it's not really that I hate him. I just think that Austin Riley is better. <laughs> and and I'm fully on started, that bandwagon. When we first started in the preseason, I think he had him ranked ninth overall at third base. Oh, my no. goodness. I think I had him, <laughs> it was, I think I had him eighth. No, okay, it's one wow. spot. I'm sorry for insulting you. I had Gunnar Henderson ahead of him for Roto because of the speed. But I, so, I moved it. I moved him ahead of. I moved Devers ahead of Henderson, though. I just for the safety, I suppose. But I do think that there's a world where Gunner ends up having a better fantasy season than Devers for for Brodo, just because I think he's going to put up some steals, uh, and because the Red Sox lineup is a little makeshift right now, which hurts Devers' ability to get counting stats. So, yeah, I want to I want to say I hate him, but I do like Riley better, and I think thirty nine dollars is fine value for him. Just like what you were saying, it's not like a bargain, but I think it's fine value for me. You didn't overpay, or maybe like Machado was an overpay. And then I think I, when we were talking with Sarah, I was telling Sarah I was like, over all, I read off all these third basemen and their prices, and I was like, I think Arenado for thirty four is the best bargain out of all those top tier third basemen because. He was four or five dollars cheaper than all these other guys. And to me, they're kind of all in the same tier. So, um, but the rest of the very infield. similar to, to snake drafts too. It feels like he's going a half round later than those guys, but he's he's right in that class. Yeah, for sure. The rest of the infield, I think you got really good bargains. Cronenworth uh, for ten. I'm a big Cronenworth guy. Semyon, especially like with those guys hitting in front of him. Like I think Cronenworth is going. He could be even better this year than he has been. Uh, Semyon for 29 is a steal in Roto, especially because he's just, uh, you know, copy paste, copy paste year after year, pretty much at this point. Uh, besides that, Blue Jays, he's not going to, you know, hit 40 or whatever homers he hit again, but uh, he's really good. India for 10, that's a steal coming off that injury. Costas for five, I like that. Obviously, you're a Sox fan, so like that's a double whammy right there. It's like you're getting you're getting good value and you're getting one of your guys. And then Melendez for 13 is, is fine. You know, like I like Melendez for 13 over Salvi for 14. I'll take that all day. Uh, I'm an anti-Salvi guy myself too. But uh, I, I like your infield a lot. I, a lot of good values in my opinion. How do you feel about it? Uh, so two of them are I'm not thrilled about. I mean, I, I don't, I guess I don't mind MJ Melendez. I just didn't anticipate spending $13 on catcher. I was price enforcing and I just ended up with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are worse players to end up with, but uh that's fine. And Cronenworth was just kind of like, I was looking at the room and I didn't want to finish with too much money. And Cronenworth was like, he was like one of the last guys that I felt like was worth paying double digit dollars for. Um, so I said, fine, I'm just going to lock him up and, and stick him in the infield. Um, I originally was fine with DJ LeMahieu as my second baseman. I'm, I'm big on LeMahieu this year, uh, but it just kind of worked out that Cronenworth was there and People weren't willing to go any higher, so I ended up with him. The rest of the infield, yeah, that was pretty intentional. Um, I My plan at first base just worked out great, where I view Cassis as like 
maybe this is a homerism, but to be honest with you, Tim and Raymond, I don't really end up with a lot of Red Sox most years. I just feel like the, they're actually kind of at <laughs> bargains this year. Like there's so many Red Sox to me that are just bargains and drafts like Justin Turner. He's going so late and third base is such a disaster. But anyway, um, to me, Cassis is like, why not in that Hoskins tier? At least why aren't we viewing him at least the same as Josh Bell, if not better. Right. I mean, every, all those yeah. same skills are there. So to get him, as my first baseman, which was my plan for just five bucks, that was the one that I was definitely most thrilled about. Yeah. And Cronenworth, you were bidding against us actually for him. I, I think we had a hard stop at like $8 or it was around there, like seven or $8 at the time that we were bidding for him. Mm-hmm. But that was someone that we were looking at as like a position flex because like I mentioned earlier, we did take a fair number of prospects. And since we did our bench, the guys on our bench had to have multiple position eligibility. Otherwise we would potentially get ourselves into trouble. So uh, Cronenworth, obviously like that's one of the benefits to getting a guy like that is you can move him around. So, and Michael Massey, <laughs> you got hit. Like we'll talk about the bench and then Michael Massey was the whole thing. Cause you guys, <laughs> I, I sent you guys a question on keeper cut about Matt keeping Massey for three. And then I remember. You, you guys are, you guys are funny. You guys are like, yeah, I cut him and throw him back and see if you can get him cheaper. And then you got Massey. I think I had him for two and then you bumped him up to three and got him for three. So that's pretty funny. But, um, yeah, that's so actually like the, Massey, <laughs> I've thought about he takes that twice and, I have two oh, yeah? $3 Masties and both times I got them, I thought about that question. I was like, oh, I guess I, I guess I would have kept them at three because I, this isn't the only <laughs> league where I have a $3 Michael Massey. Well, I haven't done that redraft yet, so hopefully I still get him back. <laughs> I'd be surprised if he goes four. So, yeah, uh, if Massey takes off, though, then it allows you to move Cronenworth around to different positions as need be. So um, that's one of the benefits of Cronenworth, and that's why I think that's a good value. And, I mean – like I said, we had a hard out at eight, but we were like you. We spent a lot of money early, so we were kind of in a similar position where later in the slow draft, we were all in on like two and three dollar guys, more or less. Um, Raymond, how do you feel about the infield? Because I really like it, and I grade the infield in particular as a B plus. Yeah, I really like it. I I definitely love. I took Devers in the first round last year, so um, in that keeper league, so it's not as bad as it sounds, but. Um, <laughs> No, I like it a lot. Um, were you intentionally targeting the positional eligibility, like Tim mentioned? We haven't got to outfield yet, but John Birdie can play everywhere. DJ LeMahieu can play everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think each guy was actually – it wasn't something intentional. It's just something that I'm happy about. Like, DJ was because I want that player. Um, I could have got him cheaper probably later, but I nominated him early because I wanted to be aggressive with my money and I wanted to make sure I got him. Um John Birdie was just, I was looking at stolen bases and for so long, I just, I get, I'm bad at drafting and, and buying steals because I get Acuna and semi and early. And then I'm just like, okay, I'm good in just, steals. Yeah. Just wait forever and ever. Yeah. And then I was I like, okay, too. now I got to get birdie. Um, and Cronenworth, like I said, that was just like, all right, I got a ton of money and I think he's the only player left worth double digits. So uh wasn't intentional, but it is, it is nice. But, yeah. Raymond, yeah. you want to read off the outfield? Yeah, one of my favorite players, Ronald Acuna, for $59. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, $22. Former Tiger, Nick Castellanos, $15. Kyle Schwarber, $23. John Birdie, $3. DJ LeMayu, $5. Who's not an outfielder, but you too. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so this outfield, I have to say, uh, Schwarber 
in particular might have been the, the biggest steal of the entire draft. Yeah. Like, there's some really good values, but I am really high on Schwarber. Raymond, I know, is really high on Schwarber, especially with the shift. I, that's going to only help him, I think, uh, the ban of the shift, even though they might do the thing where they move the outfielder in or whatever, <laughs> whatever, they, whatever we were seeing against Gallo. Or Gallo. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> so who knows what they'll do with Schwarbs. But uh, I think $23 for one of the better hitters in baseball is an absolute steal. Yeah, and, I, I, I'm not complaining about it. <laughs> yeah, and like birdie two, three dollars. That that's a steal to me. The rest of the outfielders, I don't, you know, I don't. You kind of got them, I think, at value. But Schwarber counter counterbalances like Castellanos. I'm not really that high on, but even if Castellanos, you know, I maybe call him a twelve dollar player or something. I think you got so much benefit from Schwarber that it outweighs if you spend a couple extra bucks on one guy or another guy. So what do, what do you like about your outfield? Yeah, definitely Schwarber. Um, I I definitely see the value there. Second in home runs last year, 46. I, I think we all knew he had that in him. I think people are a little cautious in five by five because of the batting average. But like you said, the the shift's going away. Um, and I also think Schwarber, I mean, as low as an average he's, that he's probably going to hit for, hitting 218 like he did last year like it, it's going to be higher than that i think he's probably going to be 230 240 that makes it hurt less if you can add pieces like i tried to do with you know guys like semian and cronoworth and dj lemay you should kind of keep you afloat in batting average i think it's it's okay to bring him on um i'm in on eloy this year uh, i wrote an article for pitcher list last year that he was a bust for me that's not me victory lapping he got hurt and when he was healthy he was actually smoking the ball so it was probably going to be wrong uh, I just didn't like the range he was going in. He was going around Teoscar and Judge, who I both liked more. Um, but this year, uh, at 22 bucks, I feel like he could hit for as much power as Schwarber. Um, I think the White Sox lineup is is kind of due. It's primed. It's finally gotten rid of Tony La Russa, right? So um, <laughs> I'm hoping we can get a, a nice, healthy DH season from Eloy. And um, if they do keep him at DH, I think there could be a lot of value in offense. And then I, I just kind of got my guys. Um, well, my guy in Ronald Acuna. I'm with you on Castellanos. That was Castellanos and um, Melendez are two picks that uh, I guess if I could have two back, it would be those. I'd want to shift that money around, use it elsewhere, go cheaper at catcher and maybe get one more more expensive outfielder. Um, but, you know, if he bounces back, great. I just I'm, I'm not very optimistic on him. Yeah. Well, don't say it too loud. Raymond's a Castellanos guy because he's a Tigers no? fan. So, okay. <laughs> if he's a Tigers fan, he should be annoyed with Castellanos. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He was like the first Tigers hitting prospect that actually panned out, and so I've always loved him. And I don't know if you follow him on social media, but his son is adorable. And I don't know. He he's on record saying though his swing got super complicated last year, and they took it down to bare minimum and i think i think there's a scenario where he hits like 25 homers and scores 90 runs and drives in 90 rbi like i think there's a there's a bounce back in there for sure he should have been a marlin he was supposed to be a marlin jeter wanted him so bad oh, he's, <laughs> he's so bad very happy quit. with where he is <laughs> he would hit like eight home runs in miami oh that would have been a mess <laughs> raymond how about this bench the one dollar one dollar bench. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Nick Fortes, one dollar. Michael Massey, three dollars. Marcelo Zuna, Charlie Blackman, Manuel Margot, Bubba Thompson, all for one dollar. Uh, Alec Thomas, two dollars. Nolan Gorman, Connor Norby, and then I don't know how to say this. 
Sedan Raffaella for, for a dollar and Robert Hassel the third for a dollar. Sedan, did I say that right? Like yeah, I think it's a Sedan. But very Sedan. Ah. I always said Sedan A, but because it's my that's my that's my South Florida coming out. I've got to make everything uh. super Spanish. So, <laughs> uh, I like this bench. Fortes is a guy that we that we had as a target if we missed on. We wanted to get one of the top prospect catcher guys. Like we got, we ended up with Andy, and uh, if we missed out on Andy and Ohapi, Fortes was like the next guy that I wanted to go for as like backup catcher, and for a dollar, that's nice. Uh, obviously, we just talked about Massey. We're big Massey guys here. Um, Ozuna and Blackman, a dollar shot in the dark on them. Why not? Right? Like if they produce, they produce. If not, it's a dollar. Who cares? It's kind of the same thing with Margot. Margot had some hot streaks. Like he, he was pretty hot at the beginning of the year, and then he got hurt and never really bounced back after the injury last year. So with you know full off season of health, maybe he kind of can get hot again and do what he was doing at the beginning of the year. Uh, Bubba Thompson obviously steals upside. So if you're down on steals or whatever, you just pop them in there and there you go. I like the shot in the dark here on Alec Thomas too. Two bucks for Alec Thomas. Uh, he was what a top 20 prospect or something last year at this time. Yep. And he, he could have, should have been a gold Glover last year. If he played the whole year, uh, he, he could go, you know, he has the skills to be a 2020 type player. So I think it's in there still one bad year. It's not, Going to def- a rookie year on top of that. That shouldn't really define a player who uh, has that kind of pedigree. And then Nolan Gorman for a dollar. I love that. And that's not just because I'm a Cardinals fan, uh, but he had a swing change so far in spring. I actually saw him hit a home run at first pitch Florida the other day or last week, I guess, when I was at that game. And uh, he looks good right now. Like I, I, I've been watching and he looks good. Uh, from what I've seen this spring, a lot better, less swing and miss. Um, and then Norby, I love a dollar for Norby. Raphael is a guy I really like too. Uh, I think I put him on Paul and Justin radar actually. Uh, because they were talking about how much sleep on the bus one time uh, because I had like reference him to Paul, I think on Twitter. And uh, Hassel, I mean, a dollar. We'll see if he bounces back from, you know, I, it seems like all these prospects that went to the Nationals in that trade. As soon as they got to Washington, they kind of floundered. And who knows if that's Washington's system is just bad and they're messing with them. We were talking with that with Blessing about this a little bit the other day. Like, is Washington's development system just so bad that they're messing these prospects up? Or is it just the fact that they had to move across the country and they're young and they're trying to figure out, you know, a whole new thing? But we'll see, I guess, this year how they adapt having the off season to prepare being in a new organization now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with guys like Gore, Hassel, uh, Wood, all those guys who got moved in that deal. Yeah. Wood, I'm, what do you think I'm about particularly excited there? about. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not as thrilled with the bench as, as I think you guys are. Um, I think it's kind of the price you pay when you invest so much money into your starting lineup and into your rotate, at least the top of your rotation in this team's case. Um, but it, you kind of put it well there. Uh, shots in the dark, right? Like Blackman, Ozuna, two aging players who maybe, you know, maybe I get one more good year out of them. It, clearly, it was a lot of like concern about outfield for me. I don't, I'm not thrilled that John Birdie's my fifth outfield. I don't think he's a particularly good hitter. I, just, I think he's just an, a, a stolen base assassin and that could hurt me in other categories. So um, guys like Manny Margot and 
Bubba Thompson, who might be like the worst hitter in baseball. I don't know, but <laughs> um, maybe one of them can just kind of supplement birdie so that I can get, you know, between those three names and maybe those two veterans. So those five names total, I can get a decent fifth outfielder. If I just take that many shots, I'm a big fan of Nick Fortes as well. Um, which kind of made my Melendez pick, you know, I, I expect MJ Melendez to outperform Nick Fortes in like every single category, but the money I could have saved and used elsewhere, you know, that, that kind of had me thinking, cause I was pretty happy to get him for a dollar. And then, um, Massey, you know, I'm sure he's a guy you talk about a lot. And, uh, I, I think there's a lot there to like, I don't know how much it's going to translate to the major leagues. It hasn't really yet, but if it does, that could be a nice pick there for three bucks in terms of the prospects. Um, yeah, I like Gorman. I mean, Gorman for a dollar. Sure. I think there's just so much swing and miss, but there's also just so much raw power. He's kind of unique for a second baseman. No problem throwing a dollar there. Um, a listener actually pointed out to Chad and I, when we were talking about Sedan Rafaela, because he was my, uh, prospect to stash pick when we did our outfield preview, because even without realizing he was on the 40 man essentially i scrolled through the red sox page looking at their 40 man and i went to outfield but he was listed as an infielder because he plays all over the place so i missed it um and a, and a listener pointed out like no he is actually on the 40 man but before even realizing he was on the 40 man i thought he was a prospect to stash because he is just flying up draft boards um he had a monster season last year he took a little bit of a step back at triple a but then started to to get back to his footing where he was in double a and the reason why i like him as a prospect to stash this year it's because the glove is just so good. I mean, the guy is a full-on center fielder. Adam Duvall so far this spring, I think, is 0 for 13 with eight strikeouts. I, I think he oh. might be washed. Yeah, he he's uh, he hasn't been good in a long time, right? It's been over a calendar year. So you get a guy who's flying up the prospect rankings. He's now in AAA, and he's a tremendous fielder. While you have a 34-year-old center fielder who really should be in right field and can't hit the ball anymore, it just seems like there's going to be a switch there at some point and potentially soon, especially with how much Alex Cora has said, he's just going to play the best players. He's looking at this roster as like, nobody's earned anything, which is how all managers should, but we know in baseball, that's not the case core. I kind of believe it. So we might see Rafaela sooner rather than later. And I think that's my, of all my $1 shots, I think that's the one that could hit the hardest. Yeah. I think, I think you'll have a couple of those guys pan out between, I don't know about hassle, but uh, between Rafael, Thomas, uh, Blackman and Ozuna. I think you'll get one or two usable players for you. I mean, long term for sure. I think, but short term, even even short term, one of one of Ozuna, Blackman, Thomas. I think will be worth you starting and then being able to move Birdie around wherever you need him. Um, pitching, Raymond. Want to read off the starters? Yeah, this three-headed monster of a rotation. Aaron Noah, $32. Mm-hmm. Julio Urias, $23. Zach Gallen, $20. My TGFBI ace, Zach Gallen. <laughs> Garrett Whitlock, $3. Jack Flaherty, $4. Bench starters, Brian Bello, $5. Edward Cabrera, $4. Lance McCullers, $3. <laughs> Eric Lauer, $1. And Kyle Bradish for a dollar. So oh, Taj, sorry, I missed a couple. I missed a couple. Taj Bradley, yeah. three dollars. That's important. Mike Soroka, less important for a dollar. <laughs> well, maybe Soroka might actually be the fifth starter because Ian Anderson has been so bad. We'll see, I suppose. But um, this rotation, you kind of did. I feel like what we were trying to do, where we wanted to load up at the top of the rotation to log very quality innings, 
And then we were like, let's just go super high end with the back end starters because we'll just bank the in you know, we'll bank those innings from the good starters since we have this innings limit of 1500 innings. Uh, we'll, you know, mix and match as we can with high end, high quality guys, highest ceiling type guys, rather than just trying to get, you know, what Nick calls Toby's, <laughs> right? Like, hey, instead of having Toby's on the back end, like go for the high variance type players. Um, I really like what you did with the rotation. Gallon for 20 is a steal. That's like that. Urias. And then, and then even, Ur- yeah, Urias for 23, we were trying to get him. And we, that's one of the guys him. that we were bidding on. Yeah. And then I think right after you got him, we put up Manoa and got Manoa for 22. Now one just went straight through. Um, and then, so Urias Gallon, I think are both steals. Whitlock for three is a steal. Which is nice to see you get Whitlock for three after you missed out on Hawk because I know how much you wanted it. Yeah, that's just got I out of control, even it. for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Flaherty for four. I mean, I'm a Cardinals fan. I don't. I'm not very confident in Flaherty bouncing back. It is a contract year though, so maybe we'll see something. Uh, but I think four dollars though is still a bargain for him, even if he doesn't bounce all the way back. It, he might not pitch a lot of innings, but like I said, contract season, we'll see what he does. Uh, the last couple of years, it's just more like a body language thing. He just looks so like defeated watching him pitch. But if he goes out there and he gets, you know, th- that's the one thing with Flaherty is I've always wanted to see him become that bulldog type pitcher. And he's just never really done that. And as a starter, you have to be, you have to, the best starters are the Max Scherzers and the JVs who go down there and they stare the hitter down on the mound and, you know, that's that's their home plate. Like, you can't be passive and be a dominant starter in the majors. Uh, Bayo, this is one I want to ask you about, actually, because I've got Bayo in a couple other leagues, including TGFBI. And what's up with this forearm thing going on with him? As a Sox fan, I'm sure you know more than I do. Yeah, uh, so it happened, I don't know, right around my birthday. Like, I, I think it was like the third, because that was like, oh, great, what a great gift. We're going to we're gonna lose my one of my favorite young pitchers on the team. Um, It was forearm tightness around mid February. uh, And this was after he was working. Like there was so much confidence in this kid. It was after he was working with Pedro Martinez. um, He was developing a new, I want to say curve ball. It wasn't, he wasn't working on the change up with Pedro, which would have been awesome. If I heard this kid was going to have a Pedro Martinez (laughs) change up. We'll take a Pedro Martinez curveball though. Um, But he, he was shut down. I don't know if he is scheduled to pitch yet, but he has thrown bullpen sessions and they've been pretty adamant that this is just like, we're just being cautious. Um, you know, I was talking about this with Chad. Um, he was talking about a reliever for the guardian, Sam Henches, how like Henches is, is like listed as like week to week, but would that be the case if it was the regular season or if it was the regular season, would it be more like day to day, but it's just at spring training. So we're being overly cautious. You never want to hear forearm strain though. Um, and that was definitely after this auction, because I don't think I have got him in a single league since, um, that news broke. And I definitely wouldn't have spent $5 because obviously there is that fear that he could miss the season, but they've been pretty positive about it as positive as you could be. And I don't think he was going to start the season in the rotation anyway. I know that sounds like crazy because he seemed like a lock for it, but I think they're going to be monitoring his innings pretty closely this year. And they've done piggyback stuff in the back with both Whitlock and Hauk. Hopefully not so much that it's ruining those guys. Um, And I think they were going to try that same approach with Bayo, especially with so many starters coming back from injury. 
Interesting. Uh, Taj Bradley, that's one that you beat us on. I think we were at two on Bradley, and you got him for three. And there's been some some talk of him possibly having a shot, and he's been pitching well this spring too. So there's been talk of him having a shot at that spot from Glass now missing. I don't think it's going to happen myself, but uh, it's good to hear that. You know, the way that the Rays are kind of slow, I, I would say, to promote prospects. But it's, it's good to hear that he at least has that shot. So maybe he comes up sooner, too. So that's also somebody who is not just a prospect for you, but if he come, he could come up and contribute pretty quickly, kind of like what we were talking about at the offset, the type of prospects that you like to go for. So how do you feel about uh, Taj and Soroka, kind of like the back end of your – rotation because obviously the front of the rotation is stacked right <laughs> yeah it was it was kind of like you know what you were describing earlier bank some innings and then and then take some shots um in terms of Taj Bradley I mean yeah it seems like the Rays are a factory right they, they very rarely miss they missed with uh Luis Patino not that he was originally a Rays prospect but they did you know trade for him they traded Blake Snell for him it's a, it's a pretty big haul and he hasn't really panned out um although he may be a guy actually worth watching for that fifth spot in that rotation uh but yeah Taj Bradley I was sold on him last year from Matt Heckman of both pitcher list and fan graphs he's big he's a big prospect guy and uh he was in on Taj Bradley I had money to spend and he was one of the prospects like the clearly one of the higher end prospects that was left available in the auction so wanted to make sure I got at least one pitcher there uh, Soroka is just kind of a complete shot in the dark. Um, I feel like it's been so long since we've seen him pitching that we forget like he was being drafted as a top 100 player. Um, after that initial, like Mike Soroka's on the scene, he's probably not going to be a strikeout guy. It'd be awesome to just see him get over 100 innings again at this point. I mean, Achilles injuries and arm issues and all that stuff. So just kind of a total low risk shot in the dark. But um, the real one, I guess, I am excited about, and I guess I'm talking myself more and more into him because I keep ending up with him is the aforementioned Jack Flaherty, who I swear I have this guy in like every league now um, <laughs> it, the sample, the sample's too small, but his last two outings were a little bit promising. And I'm sure you remember Tim uh, as a Cardinals fan, like last year it was that weird. Like he was supposed to be back like months later, but he like rushed himself back. He just kept telling everyone he's ready. And then he gets to the major leagues and looks terrible. And it's like, well, that's why you don't let the players call the shots. <laughs> Um, the yeah. talent is just so good, and I can't forget. How can anybody forget the second half of 2019? I mean, him and you, Darvish, were like, like, like vintage Jacob Degrom and Clayton Kershaw, like crazy. So it's not, it's not like it's just potential. We've seen it. Like we've seen Jack Flaherty, not for entire seasons, although you could make the case, but for at least half seasons. That's a long time to pitch like an ace. Um, so for four dollars, I, I felt okay with that. Yeah, before it, and it, in 2020, before he got hurt, he was pitching well then, too. Uh, and then he got hurt, so. You know, some weird COVID stuff that year, too, with the Cardinals, right? Yeah, yeah. So, a I, weeks. I, you know, you want to give the player the benefit of the doubt. And it's, to me, with Flaherty, because I, I watch so many Cardinals games, it's like that I get that Ian Khan thing where he talks about like watching just watching the player <laughs> instead of looking the stats, yeah. and I just get that like spidey sense where I'm like, man, he, you could tell he's just up there beating himself up when he needs to be up there, kind of like going after the hit, like get over it and move on. You gave you gave up a hit, okay, get over it, move on, get to the next hitter. Instead, he's thinking about the last at bat instead of moving on to the next one. 
and you can just see that when you watch him. But maybe, you know, hopefully, I just hope he's over it and he gets back to how he was. So, um, but I think your rotation's pretty sick. I'm, you know, it's one of the better rotations, I think, in the league. The bullpen, uh, we talked about briefly, but Raymond, if you want to read off the bullpen, uh, just a little precursor. I, I love Romano, but the rest of the bullpen, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> so I know you might feel the same way. But Raymond, do you want to read off the bullpen? Yeah, Jordan Romano, $21. Camilio Doval, $13. Carlos Estevez, $4. And then John Schreiber and Brad Boxberger for $1 apiece. Yeah, so those guys, um, the good thing is that they're cheap, right? You're not, like, blowing money. Like, Estevez is only $4, and he could be getting saves. So it's it's not like you you know you got you spent over budget on guys that could not you know not perform. Duvall maybe Duvall concerns me honestly. I don't think he's that great. Hopefully he does for you hold on to the job. He probably will. But the Giants are one of those teams that likes to mix and match every now and then where they have one prime closer, but then there's a secondary guy who comes in and usually gets like eight, 10 saves. Then they've got another guy who usually jumps in and gets like five saves. Like we've seen Tyler Rogers over the years jump in for like, you know, eight saves every year. And now they have Taylor Rogers, who's even better. And we were talking about this with blessing that I think Taylor Rogers could be one of those sneaky cheap guys who just pops, pops, you know, 20% of the saves, uh, just because they want to play, ma- Kapler wants to go matchups and they want to get the lefty in there or something like that. So, um, how do you feel about the bullpen? Uh, I guess I'm okay with it. And that's all I really wanted to feel about the bullpen. Like, if I felt amazing about my bullpen because I had like three bona fide closers, then I'd be worried I spent too much money on the bullpen. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you on Duvall. I know there are people out there that are pretty, pretty bullish on him. Um, I, I think he's he's talented enough to keep the job, and that's really all I want. I mean, in the second half, it was an ERA under two. I don't know if he's going to post all that flashy of whips, but it is a good ballpark to pitch in. Um, and if he can get me what I kind of expect from Duvall is probably anywhere from 20 to 30 saves, which if he's on the higher end of that and Romano gives me 35 to 40, which I'm sure most people are kind of expecting from him again, then like I should be fine in saves, and, and I just don't need to worry about it. Um. Carlos Estevez, you know, there was some optimism from the GM there that he would be the closer, but he did say, you know, it's up to manager. Um, oh, uh, is it Phil Nevin with the Angels? Yeah, yeah. he said it. He said it was up to to Nevin. Um, Estevez has has not had a good spring. Um, apparently, that's because they've wanted him to work on throwing up in the zone, and he just hasn't been able to do it. And I was like, well, that's okay because it's only spring training, and he's just working on something. But Chad made the astute somewhat obvious point that it's probably not good if they're asking him to work on something and he's not doing it, but it was so early in spring training that it's like, let's, let's give him a chance. So the problem for Estevez though, is if he does continue to have a bad spring, then he's not going to start the season with the job because um, Jimmy Hergett was just too good. Like he, he's not a strikeout pitcher. He's not a typical closer, but he was pretty fine in that role. Um, those last two names there, Schreiber's having a terrible spring. So he's an easy cut at a dollar. If he's, if he's not a repeat of last year, he's not going to close for the Red Sox. He's probably not second in line because they do have Chris Martin now too. 
and Brad Boxberg was just like, the Cubs bullpen is such a disaster. You know, like <laughs> I'll just try one of them and see if I end up with the closer. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing. Like that's, we kind of did a similar thing with the back end of our bullpen because we, we actually ended up with Herget and then, uh, we have Brandon Hughes for a buck too. So we're, <laughs> we're in on that Cubs bullpen. the other one guy. The yeah. Anyway. Yeah. One of us will be right. And then, probably. Yeah. And then Sarah was telling us, she's like, she has, she's like, obviously bleak cubby blue. She's like, I have no idea. She's like, they have eight guys who could close and nobody really knows which one it's going to be. So we'll see what happens with that Cubs bullpen. It'll probably shift like shape shift over the whole year. Who knows? I think the problem is not that they have eight guys that could close. I think the problem is that they have no guys that can close. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> going to be like, let's, let's, it worked for people that took David Robertson last year. It actually kind of worked out nice until he was traded. So who knows? I think you have the better pitcher in Hughes, though. I'll say that much. Yeah. So this is one question I wanted to ask you about the bullpen before we move on to some other questions, uh, some overall questions. But the bullpen you don't have any bench bullpen guys. I think you might be the only team in the league without even one bench bullpen guy. Are you comfortable with that? Are you like, you have to, obviously if you wanted to add one, you have to drop somebody else. Uh, unless you're just dropping a shift by dropping Schreiber or Boxberger or whoever from your bullpen, then adding another bullpen guy. But we, you know, got ended up with, seven bullpen guys and i think now i think the average might be closer to eight looking at everybody's team um just because i think people were taking their shots right there's so many bullpens out there like we were saying talking about the cubs that are a mess and it's like if you take your shot early and then you get the guy then that guy becomes automatically like way more valuable than what you spent on him so with only the five bullpen guys uh did you do that on purpose or is that just you're just buying values or really what, what happened with that? And what's your strategy with the uh, five bullpen? Uh, it's very intentional. Um, I knew my last or last two, last one or last two, in this case, last two relief pitchers were going to be a dollar. And then I was going to be done. I didn't want to look at them. I just would rather shoot for upside at all the different positions. And I was shocked when you said that I was like, there's no way Chad has more than five relievers and he does. And I think that's because, he wasn't if you were to ask him and, and you did probably ask him. So there's got to be an answer to it. Um, you know, would he have been maybe more aggressive on relievers? He probably would say he would have been because, you know, he's got Kenley Jansen who's going to close for the Red Sox. And then it's a little unclear. I mean, I don't know how he got Scott Barlow for only $4, but then it's like a bunch of guys whose jobs are up in the air and it is important mm -hmm. in Roto to lock up those saves. So once I had what I thought in my mind was on the very low end, 60 saves, on the very high end, I could have up to 80 saves. Once I had that, I'm done. I'm fine. I don't I don't want to sink money into it. I guess the one reliever, maybe reliever, we'll see, that I keep ending up with as like a bench reliever in some places is D.L. Hall, who I like a lot. Mm, um, there's yeah. just so much swing and miss there. He, he feels like he could be a sneaky, like American League Josh Hader this season. Um, but... I, I can't even remember what happened to him in this auction. I just didn't end up with him. And so if I'm not going to get DL Hall, I guess I'm out on bench relievers. Yeah, I was looking to see if he's even owed. He is. DVR has him. <laughs> I That's think like, I remember that. I think I was in a bidding war with him, I think. Yeah, three three bucks. He went for three. Did you go yeah, for I two probably took him? him to two. And I probably took him to two, and I just couldn't do it for three if I had to guess. <laughs> All he's right. Talking so about bidding wars. 
Talking about bidding wars is a perfect transition, and you're not even the co-host, Pete. <laughs> uh, bidding war highlights. Did you have it? Are there what bidding wars during this draft still stick out to you? Even though we, this draft was what two, two or three weeks ago, what sticks out to you still? Uh, well, I, there was I was not going to lose Ronald Acuna. Um, that I feel like for five by five, Acuna is just primed to have this incredible season. I don't know if it's possible to sleep on a guy who might be the number one overall player on NFC right now, but it feels I listen to so much baseball content that it feels like. I, I again I have a really hard time using the word sleeping but like he, to me he's the number one player he just he just is if it's head-to-head categories I'm 100% Aaron Judge but otherwise I think Acuna is basically just like a more proven and a full season Julio Rodriguez who I guess I would view as a very close number two um, in roto settings and so I wasn't going to lose him and I knew I, fi- I had a feeling if once it got to 59 you know, it's like that. It's just like this mental block. Like I can't possibly go to sixty on a player, and so the bidding just stopped, <laughs> and I got him for for fifty nine. And then another one was Aaron Nola. Um, I think at the time I maybe only had Julio Urias, so I know you guys are a fan of, and I am too. But the strikeout upside is a little limited. Nola is a workhorse mm-hmm. though for Roto. Nola is a guy who's like he's got to be one of the more likely players to give me two hundred innings, um, which is going to come with maybe not the best ratios of all the aces for sure um obviously if he repeats last year it's very good but he is going to come with a ton of innings ton of strikeouts and what should be a ton of wins so um he was a player i definitely wanted to win even though it, it got a little pricey there at the end and tanner yeah, how can I don't the, think, the tanner I don't even think that that's yeah <laughs> yeah tanner I, I mean really i don't think noel is that bad because he's in my top i've got i've got a t- top tier of like eight pitchers like eight starters and when you look at Cole for 40, McClanahan for 35, uh, Rodon for 34, Scherzer for 35, I think I would take Nola for the 32 over Scherzer for 35, Rodon for 34. Like, I think you you did fine on value there. So even though you're saying it's high, I think it's I think it's about right. Um, so any other favorite values on your team? We talked about some of the guys you didn't like, but uh, any other favorite guys that we didn't really get into yet? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just guys who I think have a lot more upside, obviously, than their price. Um, Tristan Cassis comes to mind for $5. I, I'm so confident that unless he gets injured, which has been a little bit of a problem for him, he was out a long time with an ankle issue last year, probably delayed his call up by maybe a month or two. Um, but assuming he stays in the field, I feel like that's the most like bankable. I'm, I'm going to make money there. Um, you brought up the Schwarber one who... I think people forget that he even had like 10 steals last year. I like yeah. he's not a five category contributor. That's for sure. But could he be like three and a half again, especially with these new rules regarding stolen paces? I think he could. Um, so definitely like those two values. Um, I'm glad I got Rafaela for a buck. And then on the pitching side, it's not a value. It is definitely not a value, but I'm glad I got Romano out of the way. Like I'm glad I got a top closer. Um, a guy who's been consistent over the last two years, clearly proven to be one of the best relievers in the game, at least when it comes to saving games. So it's, it's, it's extreme. It's not the question. It's extremely far from a value at $21, but I'm just glad to have Jordan Romano on my team. Um, and then Edward Cabrera, I guess would be the last one. I think it's weird that I got Cabrera for cheaper than uh, Brian Bayo. I think Cabrera has shown more in the major leagues. I think his stuff is nasty. Um, Miami has proven themselves to be a team that can churn out high quality pitching talent. Um, and ever since then, right, Pablo Lopez has been traded, and and I think Edward Cabrera is going to start the season in the rotation. So 
Um, he's a piece that for just four bucks, I, I feel pretty good about. I kept him in a few, in one or two out new leagues for like five, six bucks. So to get him in a startup for just four felt felt pretty good. Yeah, I like yeah, exactly. Cabrera has nasty stuff. For him, is a question of control. So it's like, okay, is he going to get it? <laughs> we'll see. I guess this will be the year that we find out, right? Yeah, so, you should have uh, a chance. <laughs> yeah. So your team, I've been grading every team, and I've been telling everybody my grades are like a graduate school professor. C is average, right? Like I'm not, I'm not a B average type guy. So uh, I, I really like your team though. I, I gave your hitting a B plus and your pitching. I was trying to decide if it's a B or a B minus. I was kind of in between because I really like your rotation. Like your rotation gets really high grades, but then the bullpen to me, like I like Romano. I think you got him at a good price, but I'm just not a Doval guy. I don't know like how we kind of talked about, I don't know if SFS is going to get the job. So you might only have one source of save. I mean, you'll have Duvall, but I guess you might, you, you might have one and a half sources of save. If like I was saying, the giants bounce around with Taylor Rogers and Tyler Rogers and whatever other guys they, <laughs> they have in that bullpen right now, but they seem to do that. So uh, that's, that's the, the concern in the bullpen. Not like any of those guys are really like bad, but it's just, I don't know if you're going to have enough saves, but you know, the thing is Romano, you got that workhorse to hopefully hold down the forties that safety blanket for you. Kind of like what we were just talking about. So what do you think of my grades? How would you grade yourself? <laughs> Grading myself, especially as a teacher, that's a, that's a hard thing to, to ask. Um, I think, <laughs> I think on, on one hand, I am not as high on my infield as, as you and Raymond are. Um, I feel like it's just missing a little something like, like I did. Okay. It, basically I did okay at each position. Like I feel fine, but I don't feel great at a position other than really first base. Um, so I think there's room for improvement there. I'm glad I attacked my outfield hard. I feel great about my outfield. Um, and I, I think maybe I'm not as high in my rotation as you guys are as well. I think both my rotation and my bullpen have great upside. So maybe I'm higher on my bullpen because I just don't care as much. I think there's scenarios <laughs> where like they both do very well. But my rotation is like one injury to those three aces away from being a very just middle of the road rotation. Um, and my bullpen is a Jordan Romano injury away from maybe being a catastrophe. Like if Duvall surprises, I think Steamer's projecting Duvall for the most saves, which is absurd. I don't, I don't know how they come up with that figure. Um, I don't expect it to be clear. Um, <laughs> but if he, if he does save me, you know, 25 to 30 games, maybe I can absorb a Romano injury for a little bit. Um mm -hmm. As long as I'm middle of the road and saves, I'm fine. So for what I wanted to do, I'm okay. So I guess in total, I'm fine with a B. I, I, it's not an A. I would have needed to have done better on my infield, but um, there's a lot of upside and a lot of downside when you go so hard with stars and scrubs in the pitching. Yeah, for sure. And the thing, though, going stars and scrubs with the pitching, I think you did it right because you went with the scrubs. Like I said, you didn't go Tobies. You were getting right. guys that can be high variance. Like Lance McCullers for $3. If McCullers is actually healthy at some point, like that's going to be $3 well spent. But it, it, that's all dependent on health. And the same thing kind of with Bayo, even if he's healthy, if Cabrera breaks out, if Bradley gets playing time. So you have high variance options. It's not like you have boring guys. So it, it makes it a little more fun, I think, uh, the back end of the rotation. So one of the questions I've been asking everybody is, do you have any hints or tips for odd new rookies? If, if someone's going into their first odd new draft, uh, what hints or tips would you have for them? Uh, by far, I think the, the biggest lesson I've learned in odd new and, and 
it really was hammered home this this season of auctions um is spend your money spend your money um it's i get it you want to be the smartest guy in the room and you want to find the best deal but you know what you will never find the best deal if you don't spend your money um and you know last year we did the auction our mock auction we did it this year as well last year we did it and there were people that were like left like 50 60 bucks on the table and i was like that's never going to be me and then i had that auction a few weeks ago well, well like a month ago now and left 40 dollars on the table for a team that i thought man this thing could compete so since then in all of my auctions i've come out hard and strong early and i've liked how my teams have turned out so much more if you're somebody who does a lot of draft prep trust yourself and if a player that you like is there and you can bid on him for a price that you would be comfortable rostering him at go get him don't wait for when all of a sudden everybody's like oh i'm looking at my team i haven't spent money yet and and the stars are running out because that's when the prices begin to go up so spend your money and and go at these guys hard and you'll be you'll be much happier with how your team ends up in the end i agree with that I mean, don't spend all your money, but <laughs> spend most of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't want to be yeah. in dollar days after, you know, your first eight players. Like that, that's definitely not what I'm saying, but making sure you're, you're competitive. You're not sitting on your laurels for too long. Yeah. Okay, Pete. So what is your trade block looking like in this league? I've been asking everybody. So we've got live records now on these podcasts of everyone who's on the <laughs> pods, what their trade block is looking like. Uh, so what's, what's your trade block like? What are you looking for and what positions or players might be on the block for you at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and ever since I saw in the notes this morning, I was like, man, what is my trade block going to look like? Um, I'm going to put Castellanos up just in case there's a bigger Castellanos believer than me. Um, I feel like I can maybe, maybe round out strength of my rotation a little bit. I've taken, like we talked about so many shots in the outfield. I have so many outfield outfielders just on my roster when you, count you know my minor league players my bench and my my actual starters um i also have a lot of second basemen and there's no second baseman other than Semyon who i feel great about but because i missed out on all the shortstops i'm playing Semyon at shortstop so i just have all these like i basically have three second basemen who i've all just like i like you know like i have cronenworth i have india i have lemayhu i like all three so if somebody is really interested in one of those three because they need help at a position that frankly stinks um i'm happy to make that move I'm not confident if Nick Fortes is my starter, but I am open to moving MJ Melendez as well. Um, I just feel like $13 for, for Melendez is maybe a little bit much, um, but I could definitely see that returning some value. In terms of pitching, I don't feel like there's any starting pitching that I want to trade away because I have three aces that I want to keep and see through this year. And then I have a bunch of guys who like, I could really regret trading those guys. Like if I trade away mm -hmm. Jack Flaherty at $4 and, and he's 2019 Jack Flaherty, I've made a mistake. Um, so I think I'm going to hold on to my starting pitchers. If I can acquire another closer, great. Um, if not, again, I'll, I'll figure that out as the year goes on. So I guess in short, MJ Melendez, Nick Castellanos, um, and whichever of my second baseman someone's interested in. Excellent. Raymond, you got anything on that trade block? <laughs> I don't Ray know. Raymond's the really trade. Raymond's the trade broker. He was trying to set up a trade with Blessing, and who who else were you trying to set up a trade with yesterday? And Ray Raymond said that we got to get a commission. So if if uh, <laughs> he brokers a trade, then uh, we got to get a couple bucks sent our way. A couple a couple of our budget bucks <laughs> sent our way. <laughs> no, I Smart was going to say I'd be I'd be in on Casianos, but I don't think we can afford him because somebody paid fifteen dollars for Newbar. 
Newbar's better than Cassianos, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got money left over. I don't know. I do have money left over. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna. You be... had you had more than I thought for as hard as you're pushing spending your money. You have fifteen dollars left over, which isn't top of the league, but it's middle of the pack. I think yeah. we have like three dollars left. <laughs> it's all. We have five. <laughs> five is, is maybe where I'd want to be. It's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Because I, I've, I've missed out on on two of my, you know, I brought up the the staff league, but um, I, there were quite a few guys who are at the end of a couple of auctions this year. I'm like, man, I wish I spent more money. So to only have 15, for me, that's like, I only have $15. I spent a ton. Here we go. But I totally understand why to other people it's like, oh, yeah, you left some money on the board there. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> that explains why you were comfortable spending the money for Cronenworth or, you know, something like that too. But um, yeah, I, I like your team a lot. You have a lot of good value and uh, hopefully we'll get some trades rolling sometime soon here. I think most people, when they draft a lot of, a lot of people don't want to trade from their team right at the beginning of the year. They kind of want to see how their team does that. They, because people put a lot of effort into building that team. Right. So we'll see uh, when, if there's any, if we get any trades preseason, I'd be kind of interested to see what something would look like. Um, and obviously, this is a new league too, right? So there's always going to be those first people hesitant to start sending trade offers because you don't know how, if you don't know some of the people in the league, you don't know how they're going to react if they get an offer that maybe they might not like. So, <laughs> you know, uh, we talked a little bit about that with Daniel. And he's like, he just uses the calculate. He sends the trade calculator back to people and stuff like that. And like, well, that's, <laughs> a, that's a good way to handle it instead of just tell, telling people, ah, get out of here. That's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> And like blowing up on him, just send a trade calculator back if you disagree with it. So, <laughs> uh, I think if you're yeah. if you're playing aunt new, like you're pretty into fantasy baseball. So like, I I I, I feel like most of us can probably see the merits in just about every trade offer we've received on on aunt new. Um, even if it's like, oh man, I would never accept a deal like this because it's prospects for my stud, and I'm I'm a horses over ponies guy. You can usually at least see the merits in it. I haven't, I can't remember ever receiving something on aunt new where I'm like, what is this guy thinking? <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah all right uh you got anything else on your team that you want to bring up before we close this out pete uh i think i'm just gonna be a homer and and bring it back to sedan Rafaela. he's having a pretty nice spring um and i can't state enough that like yeah the red sox may have a lot of outfielders that really doesn't mean that any of them are any good um <laughs> Ver- verdugo said he wanted to sign an extension and the red sox reaction was like oh that's nice okay um so <laughs> you want to be here yeah yeah it's like it's it's great and i like for dugo but at some point your outfielders need to hit for more than like you know 10 home runs each and uh rafael if he continues to show what he did last year in the minors um i i think baseball america he he went unranked to like the 84th prospect in baseball that's a pretty big jump um, yeah look at the numbers from last year especially from a fantasy perspective a guy who will swipe bags, hit for power, and you don't have to worry about play time because once he gets called up, he's going to be one of the best fielders on the team. Um, I, I'd go start start some auctions for for Rafaela. Nice, that's a nice tidbit, Raymond. You got a, You got a, a final uh, Raymondism for us to end this. <laughs> Raymondism. Uh, <laughs> First of all, I took uh, Brian Bale at like 380th overall in my TGFBI while we were doing this, so I wow, thought I'd just throw nice. that out there. That's yeah, nice. he's apparently he's throwing a live bullpen this weekend, so that's encouraging. Um, no, I got a, I have a Rafael Devers stat, and apparently he has hit the 
the fastest pitch ever tracked for a home run belongs to Rafael Devers, 102.8 miles per hour off of Aroldis Chapman. And then players with two career home runs of 100-plus miles per hour tied for most in the pitch-tracking era. Juan Soto, Jazz Chisholm, Corey Seager, Rafael Devers. That's good company. Lefty-lefty matchup, too. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that, I, uh... I love Jazz Chisholm being on that list is pretty cool. Those other guys kind of like, yeah, all well, that makes sense. But oh, I love Jazz. Love Jazz. So do I we. think that so might have been his rookie season. Devers. That was, uh, if it's the home run yeah. I'm thinking of, that was a dead center rookie season yeah. off Chapman to either tie the game or take the lead in the ninth. So it was a big spot, too. This video has been on loop for like 10 minutes and he just, it's a bomb. Yeah. That one was <laughs> awesome. I was in a hotel at the time. I remember where I was when he hit that home run. I was like, let's go. That's awesome. Yeah. Aaron Hicks is <laughs> yeah, especially field, now so that, that he's signed. Yes. Yeah, especially now that the Red Sox finally committed. It's like, okay. <laughs> God, you, God. you kept one of them. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank God. Thank, it had to be him. Yeah. Had to be him. You, they kept the right one, in my opinion, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Couldn't have been Bogart. Yeah. Had well, Mook, Mook, maybe Mookie, too. Like, if they had kept Mookie and Devers, and then then you'd definitely be okay with, okay, Xander Walk, but at least we kept Mookie, too. You oh, know? for sure. I, I would think. But, that was a disaster, um, but uh, it's still a soft spot, so. <laughs> all right we won't talk we won't rub it in then pete all right <laughs> it was great having you on pete uh we'll look forward to, to the next time thanks for coming on thanks so much tim and ray this was yeah. awesome thanks man this was fun